Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Every weekday afternoon from 1952 to 1970, millions of people across America tuned into CBS for Art Linkletter's house party. Each show ended with Mr. Linkletter talking to kids. In fact, over the years, he interviewed more than 20,000 of them. They all came from different backgrounds in all shapes and sizes, but the kids at least had one thing in common. They all said the darndest things. Carolyn, what do you want to be? A movie star. What do movie stars do, for instance? They go to studios and do some stuff. Yeah, how do they start a day out, do you suppose? What is the first thing a movie star does? has a movie star breakfast, then it goes in a movie star car, and then it has a movie star lunch, then it goes to a stu- movie star studio, then it drives home in the movie star car, then it goes to bed with another movie star. What do you want to be when you grow up as a grown man? An actor and an artist. An actor in motion pictures? Mm-hmm. Let me give you a little test. Have you ever done any acting? Yeah. Well, try Say Art Linkletter like you're mad. Art Linkletter like you're mad. <laughs> That's good. You're going to be a wonderful actor. <laughs> Stanley Thomas, what do you think you'll be when you grow up? A bus driver or a pilot. A bus driver or a pilot. Yeah. Well, suppose you were piloting on a big airplane and suddenly all four engines stopped right away. What would you say? Our father would turn to everybody. <laughs> Our Father, who art in heaven. If any of you are like me, you've said that a couple times in your lifetime. So what a joy it is. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you for the awesome opportunity to be here with your people, your church, Lord, and share your wisdom for our future. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, talking about future, I never thought I would be here talking to all these gorgeous-looking people out here on a Sunday morning. So we never know what God has in store for us. And just like we laughed at those kids God probably laughs at some of the plans we have for our future compared to what he has in store for us. But you know, all of us, wherever we're at, we're always looking for the next thing. So if you're young, you're looking at, when do I get my driver's license and get a car? Um, Or when am I going to meet that special person that I get to talk to and spend some time with? Or our career, or our homes. But somewhere in the midst of all that, somebody says these words to us, save early, and save often for your retirement portfolio. And it starts at different ages for us, but there's wisdom in that. God tells us to prepare for the future, but there's also an eternal portfolio that we have that God says we can store treasures up in now for our future. And unlike our retirement portfolio, where it might last a few years, or if you're lucky, a decade or two, What we put into our eternal portfolio will last a lifetime, and it will never expire. So that's what we want to talk about today. But first, I need $100. Wow. 
Sophia, thank you so much. That was easy. I'll put that in my pocket. What happens if I ask for another 100? I don't know. <laughs> so our future. You know, all throughout Scripture, we have a couple choices to make. The first is, where will we spend eternity? And that's just based on what we do with Jesus. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. But we have other choices that we make throughout our entire lifetime. And what those choices do is determine how we will spend eternity. You see, we don't like to talk about it. We call it works. But God has said, if you do certain things, I will reward you and bless you both here and now and in your eternal portfolio. Here's a couple simple examples. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, if you're fasting or if you're praying, do it alone with God. Don't let everybody know, and I will reward you in heaven. Think about that. Just for communicating with God, he's going to reward you for doing that. Um, Paul tells the Corinthians, share the word, water seeds, plant a seed. And if you do, God has treasures for you in heaven. And Jesus in Luke 14, he says, I'm going to reward you for hanging out with people that could never pay you back. He says, when you throw a party, don't just invite your friends because they'll invite you to their house next month. And that's your reward. But invite people who could never pay you back. Invite the crippled, he says, the lame, the blind, the needy, those that never have an opportunity to pay you back. And I will reward you in heaven for doing that. And so when we volunteer on the dream team, when we have a ministry that we like, that we support and we volunteer, if you go on a short-term missions trip, if you spend time with somebody in your neighborhood or at work, you are pouring into people who can never pay you back and there will be rewards for you. Now, Jesus, his great dissertation, we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And right in the middle of it, Jesus wants to talk about money. And he says, do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Then he adds this tagline, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now, let me make it clear. He's not saying that we can't have earthly treasures. They are from him. They're a blessing from him. He said, just don't focus so much attention on storing those up. Focus your attention on storing up for your eternal portfolio, those eternal blessings. And the way we do that is to develop the same heart that Jesus has for the world in us, taking care of needies, providing for ministries that help point people towards heaven. He goes on and he continues and he says, no one can serve two masters for you will either love the one or hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Notice he didn't say it's hard. He said you cannot do it. So decide today what you're going to do when that situation comes. You know, there are times in our life where God will challenge us and he'll say, I want you to do more than you're doing. And the way we look at life, we think our income is this pie. Okay? And so I've set up this slice of the pie to give to God and his work. And all these other slices take up everything else in my life that I have responsibilities for or my toys. And then 
because we love God, because we talk to him, he speaks to us. And he puts something on our heart. He goes, I'd really like you to meet this need. I'd like you to bless this organization. And I'd like you to take this piece of pie that you're giving me. And for the next period of time, I'd like you to make it this big. And we go, oh my gosh, God, if I do that, I don't have what I need over here on these obligations I made. And in the natural, that's correct. But for us, that's a lie. And so we have this tension because we love God. We want to do everything he says, but yet we still like our stuff and we got to live and we want to do those things too. And so there's that natural tension and we don't see how it'll work. And that's why Jesus immediately says after that, this is why I tell you, do not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear, because our Father knows what you need, and he will provide it. And then he gives us a couple examples. Look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store in barns, but yet your Father provides for them. And you are so much more valuable than the birds. And look at the lilies of the field, how they're clothed, how beautiful they look. They didn't do that for themselves. I did it. And they're here today, thrown into the furnace and gone at the end of the season. Don't you know I love you so much more? Where's your faith when I challenge you to do these things? He says, those that don't have a relationship with me, they need to worry because they only have this pie. And if they increase it, they've got to take it from somewhere else. But you who have a relationship with me, if you seek me, if you get intimate with me, if you talk to me on a regular basis, and then if you live righteously, if you do the things I ask you, you have no worries. I promise to provide everything you need. And so this is a walk of faith when we're talking about these things. And everybody in this room wants to do that. I want to do that. And so I believe there are four attitudes that we could train our heart to adopt that will allow us to be those types of extravagant givers like Jesus was and store treasures in heaven. So let me begin with you on the first one. It's going to come from Matthew 25. You know this story. We call it the parable of the talents. And parables, those are just stories that Jesus made up. But in them, he puts a spiritual principle that lasts forever. And so in this story, there's a master. He's got a lot of wealth. He's going away. So he calls three of his servants, and he gives them different proportions of his income. And he says, I'm leaving. And then when he returns, if they've handled what he's given them well, if they multiply it, if they use it for his benefit, he gives them glory. He gives them more responsibility come with me and let's have a good time together. The person who doesn't gets just the opposite. So that's the story. Here's the cast. The master who's going away, that's Jesus. He was here, he's in heaven, and he's coming back again. The servants who are given different proportions, just like all of us, different incomes, that's you and I that have a relationship with Jesus. So let's read what it says there. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. Here's the first attitude to train in our heart. Recognize it's not my stuff. 
We all like our stuff and we think it's ours, but it isn't. It's God. He's given it to us to use, to enjoy, but it's for his purposes. And he tells us what to do with it. So we kind of like transfer ownership of everything to God and we hold it loosely because we recognize who it is. And he says it's been entrusted to them. Do you know, entrusting is different than giving, okay? If you invite me to your wedding and I bring a monetary gift for you, that's a gift. You're never going to have to give it back to me. You don't have to use it the way I would use it. You don't even have to tell me what you did with it. It is a gift that I gave you. But if I entrust something to you, then that means I'm going to want a return on it and you need to handle it the way I would want you to handle it and be ready to give it back. So here's a real simple example. Go open up a passbook savings at your local bank. Put in some of your money. You've entrusted it to them. You expect them to use it, to grow it, and when you're ready, to give you a return on your investment. So a couple years later, you go back, you see the same tailor, you say your hellos, and you go, I would like all my money plus whatever you've earned on it for me. And he looks at you and he goes, whoa, that's a lot of money. I need to pray about that. See, You would say, what? (laughs) It's my money. I just loaned it to you until I was ready for it. Give it to me. But you see, that's exactly what we do to God when we think it's ours and not his. And when he speaks to us and says, I want you to do something greater than you're accustomed to doing, we need to have that same attitude that it's his. And sometimes we like to think, but God, you don't know how hard I worked for it or what school I went to, to get this training and knowledge to give me this income. God already answered that when he spoke through the prophet Moses, and he says, never think of yourself. Always remember that it's I who gave you the ability to create wealth. And I did it to fulfill the promise that I made to your ancestors. And what was that promise? I will bless you, enjoy it, so that you will be a blessing to others. And so we need to hold things loosely that we have, always waiting to see if God wants us to do something else with it. Who gave me that $100? Sophia, come on up here, real quick, please. Come on, like a worship song. Let's jump. Come on. All right. Why would, can we give it up for Sophia, first of all? Let me remember. I can tell you, I'm a lot older than you, and it's nervous to look at this crowd. I don't know how you do it on worship all the time, but you do. You keep your eyes on him. Okay, why were you so quick to give me that $100? Well, you gave me that $100, so just gave it right back to you. What do you mean by that? Explain that. Well, I'll be honest. I was eating a burrito, and I get a call from my bestie, Jimmy, and he's like, hey, I'm going to give you $100, and I'm going to tell you what to do with it later. So so when I asked for it, you figured it was time to give it back to me. I think he's talking about the $100 he gave me. I'll give that back to him. So, so is that why it was so easy for you to give it to me? Yeah. Okay. So now let's pretend that I did not give you that $100 in advance, but you had $100 of your own in your pocket. How easy would it have been for you to jump up just as quick and give it to me? I definitely would have, would have thought about it a little more. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you would have. <laughs> Most people do. Do we see the difference here? When we think stuff is ours, we're like, hmm, I'm not so sure. But when we recognize it's somebody else's, God's, 
it's a whole lot easier. We just get to distribute and write the checks and be part of the blessing. So what do you think, now that you gave that back to me, what do you think um, I should do with it? I don't know, maybe go take your wife, get some dinner or something, I don't know. <laughs> You're the second person to say, take my wife out to eat. What is it with this? I don't know. <laughs> All right, what would you do with it if it were yours? I don't really know, I'm not sure. I'd pro I feel like I'd probably save it. I feel like I'm a bit of a saver. <laughs> You're a saver, huh? Okay, well, let me tell you, this is what I think. God entrusted this to me. And so I talked to God before the service. And I said, what do you want me to do when she gives me the $100 back? And the first thing he said was, I want you to use her as an example of gifting. So half of it is a gift to you. Right? That means you never have to give it back to me. You go do whatever you want. If you want to save it, save it. Go blow it on something else. Okay? It's a gift. And then he said, I want you to entrust the other half to her. And so by that, that means you have to do what we just said. Spend some time with God and say, what do you want me to do that will benefit you with that half of the money? Can you do that? Thank you. Go ahead. Thank you so much, Sophia. You see, God always has a purpose for anything he entrusts to us. Thankfully, 90% of the time, it's for our stuff. It's for our mortgages, our cars, and everything else that we have. But there are times that he challenges us, and he just wants us to recognize it's okay. I promise to provide for you. Accept the challenge. You know, the Israelites had to step out in faith. When they're ready to cross the Jordan River, Joshua tells the priest carrying the ark, to step into the water, and then God will part the seas. And it was flood season. They could have been swept away. But it wasn't until they took that step of faith that God provided and parted the waters. That's how it is with our finances. We need to step out when he calls us to. So hold things loosely. The second attitude of our heart is recognize and acknowledge this is not our home. It's only temporary. We need to learn to be content. First Timothy says, we brought nothing with us when we came here, and we're taking nothing out when we leave. So if you have enough food and clothing, learn to be content. We all heard there's no trailers following any hearse. So we might as well do with what we've been given with what God wants us to do right now. Do you know, America annually spends over $500 billion remodeling homes. They spend over $200 billion redecorating those homes. That is a lot of paint and carpet for something that's temporary. If you look at this next screen, it's a picture of Motel 6. Now, I want you to envision something, I think. Is it up? There it is, okay. It's a picture of, I want you to envision you're out of your home. I was a claims adjuster, property adjuster, so sometimes people had fires and I had to relocate them while we restored their home. I want you to know my company never put anyone in Motel 6, but that's the only picture I could find online. So you have home damage, your insurance company puts you in Motel 6 and you're gonna be there for 60 or 90 days. How much of your money would you spend to remodel or redecorate that room? Probably very little. Why? 
Because out of the 60, 80, or 100 years that you're going to be alive and living in your home, just a very small percentage of that time will you be in Motel 6. So you won't invest a lot of money there. Well, do you know that the 60, 80, or 100 years that we'll be in our homes here is an even smaller percentage of time that we will be in eternity This is temporary. And so we ought to have that same attitude and be content. And when I say that, I don't mean that we shouldn't enjoy things and that it's wrong to purchase things that are nice. I'm not saying that at all. Contentment means, thank you, God, for what I have. And if I desire to do something else, I'm just going to talk to you about it first and make sure it's what you have on my plate and not just what I want to do. You see, the deciding factor isn't whether I can afford it or not. The deciding factor is, what does God want me to do? He has all wisdom. He knows what's going to happen. So talk to him and ask him. And I found in my life that 95% of the time he goes, Jimmy, if you want to do that stupid thing, go ahead. Okay? It's not that often that he says, I really don't want you to do that because I have another plan I'm going to show you. So wait on me. That's contentment, realizing that this is not our home. So we hold things loosely, recognize that we don't own anything. God owns it all. We learn to be content. We realize that we're living in a temporary world and eternity is our real home. And the third thing is never become complacent, but always excel in your giving. Second Corinthians says, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, listen to this one, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. So look for ways that you can share what you have and be a blessing to someone else. Don't wait until you think you're better off financially before you do it, because it'll never happen. You know, when God challenges you, well, let's come back to that. Look at this next slide. If you can read it, there's names of nine individuals. You may know some of them. The founder of Quaker Oats, Cromwell. William Colgate, Toothpaste. Procter & Gamble. John Rockefeller, founder of Standard Oil, who they say, if you adjust for inflation, he is still the wealthiest person that ever lived. Richard DeVos, founder of Amway. I like this one. Truett Cathy, the founder of uh, Christian Filet. I mean, Chick-fil-A. And David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby. Do you know what all these men had in common? They were tithers before they ever started their business. They gave 10% to their local church before they ever started. And with hard work and God's blessing, they got to where they were. And do you know most of those men as God, businessmen, I know there's a lot of businessmen here. You know the first couple years you're starting a business, you have a lot of sweat equity and you're pouring your profits back into your business, right? These guys had all the reasons in the world to take a hiatus from tithing, but they didn't, okay? And most of them increased as God blessed them. They're giving far beyond 10% to higher percentages, And most of them remembered to keep the Sabbath. It wasn't all work. They were involved in their churches. They were serving on their dream teams and volunteering. They were teaching Sunday school classes. They were using their funds to form mission 
teams and provide all the means necessary to send those missionaries over to foreign countries. They were invested in their community. So here's what I'm saying. There's always more needs that we have, but begin like they did to make the tithe, the 10% your basis. I tried to look for somebody who waited until they had their bills in order and their business was doing successful and then said, thank you, Lord. I'm now going to start tithing since you got me on this road here and we're doing well. You know what? I couldn't put a slide up because I couldn't find one business owner that that was their story. And it's the same with you and I. So man, God's just asking us to step out in faith, make the tithe the basis for our giving, and then go from there. Here's my example. Wherever you're at in giving, God looks at our heart, okay? So whatever your percentage is, he loves you. He sees your heart. He wants to encourage you to raise it to 10%, but he knows where you're at. Here's my analogy to support why I agree with God that you should just jump in at that 10% level. You find the girl of your dreams that you love. You want to make her your wife. And, and you do all the stuff, and you know that she loves you too. So you're going to ask her to marry you. Okay? So you have this relationship with God. We love God. He loves us. So just relate that. I found the woman I love. She loves me. So I go out and I get a ring. I get all the family together. And I'm gonna, that's how they used to do it. Ask them in front of the parents. You get all the family together and I'm going to ask her to marry me. So after dinner, I get on my knee and I go, honey, I love you. She says, I love you too. And I go, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Me too. Right? I know God put us together. Yeah, he did. Okay? I got to tell you something. I took this finance class at church. And they said that we really need to be smart and not make risky investments, okay? And I know you're looking for a diamond here tonight, but I got to tell you, in addition to that, I read this article that said the hardest time in a marriage is the first three years. That's when there's the greatest failures in learning how to adjust to one another, and marriages fail during that time. I know God put us together, but man, when I read that and when I know what I heard in my finance class about risky investments, I'm like thinking, maybe we shouldn't get a diamond. But I want you to have something shiny and sparkly. So I went and I bought you this cubic zirconi. And honey, I promise that once we iron out that first one year of marriage and we get through those kinks, that we're going to trade that in and we're going to get a sapphire. Man, and then when we work out that second year of marriage and get all that stuff out of the way, we're going to trade that sapphire in on a ruby. And finally, when you do everything I say, I mean, when we work out those thir that third year of marriage, Freudian, when we work out that third year of marriage and we know we're over the hump statistically, I'm going to get you that diamond. How many girls would say yes to that? How many fathers of the bride would not kick that guy out of the house, right? You expect them to bring the full diamond at the beginning. And that's what I think God is asking us. Have enough faith, have enough trust. He's promised to provide for us to give him the tithe that he asked for right from the beginning. You know, I have found, I, I've 
made a personal commitment with Jesus in my early 20s. So for over 45 years, our family's been walking with him. And I've got to tell you, tithing was the first principle I put into practice. And we've been laid off. I've lost jobs. We've gone through everything that every other family goes through, all the ups and downs. But one thing we have never done is gone without. God has always provided, and he's always had other people there to bless us and take care of us. And we are still going strong. So that is just an example of what he does in so many of our lives. You know, 90% with God always goes further than 100% on our own. So wherever you are, begin to tithe today. So hold things loosely is the first attitude of our heart, and it's easier to be free. Be content with where we're at in life. Recognize everything is temporary, and it's easier to make good decisions. And begin, if we haven't, to raise our giving to the level of a tithe and watch what God will do. And finally, have a purpose for our profit that's greater than simply increasing our standard of living. 1 Timothy 6 is about teaching those who are rich. And he says, tell them to use their money to do good. There's that works things again. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up treasures as a good foundation for the future where they may experience true life. He's telling us, that when we do good works, when we are generous with those in need, we are storing treasures in heaven that will last forever. I want you to look at this next slide. On my right, your left, is my example of the rich young ruler. We know that story. On my left, your right, is a friend of mine named Kathy. She's a single woman who's a baker. I want to compare their stories. The rich young ruler we know came to Jesus, And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him five or six commandments and says, do these and you'll have eternal life. He goes, I do that. Let's remember, he was a leader in the church. So that means he was a tither, he was a giver. He keeps those moral commandments, those relational commandments. So he's a good guy. He's a person of great character and he volunteers. He's in the temple, He's the perfect member that every church wants to have. But yet Jesus saw through him, even though he was a giver and a role model for everyone else in the way he lived. And he says, there's one thing you lack. And it's the only person that Jesus ever said this to, thank heavens. But he says, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he had so much wealth, and he was so attached to it that he walked away. So you see, It wasn't the amount that he gave, even though he was a tither, even though he was a moral person and he was involved in his church, he still loved money more than God and he walked away from God. Now compare him to my friend, Kathy. Kathy is a baker on an hourly wage. She has an old car. The mechanic said, we really can't put any more money into it. It's gonna keep breaking down. You need to start an auto fund and get yourself a good used car. Customer comes in, knows that she's doing that, and says, how's your auto fund going? She goes, I had $5,000 in it. He goes, what do you mean you had? She goes, well, I gave it to a widow in our church. And he goes, why? Because when I heard her, she had greater needs than just for an automobile. And so I asked God, what do you want me to do? And he told me to give it to her. I think I heard from him. 
I think I did the right thing. What do you think? And so I want to stop there and pause. Rarely will God give you an audible voice or write his finger on your mirror and say, I, thus saith the Lord, I want you to do this. But he speaks in that small, still voice to each of us. We've all felt it. When God said, go do something for somebody, go bless somebody, increase what you're doing, that's how he talks to us. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. But when you spend time with God, if that is still in you, then it's time for your faith to be enriched and go out and do what he's prompted you to do and watch him take care of your needs. So Kathy did that. So she automatically transferred $5,000 into her eternal portfolio. But then look at what God did. He promises to meet your needs. That customer went to a car lot and he says, I want to buy Kathy a car. And the dealer says, do you want to buy her a used car or a new car? And it's like God just downloaded to him, love your neighbor as yourself. I always buy new cars for me, so I guess I should buy a new car for her. So he buys her a brand new car. And those photos on the right that you see, they took it to where she works and they called her out and they surprised it, surprised her with it. Can you see the joy of the Lord on her face there? And then the bottom picture is she's driving away shouting hallelujah and praising the Lord, okay? God blessed her. She got her rewards and her eternal treasure, and God said, in addition to that, I'm going to give you more than you could have ever purchased for yourself, free and clear. You see, this is what God wants us to do. Now, compare that to the rich young ruler. He walked away. So for the last 2,200 years, He's living with the fact that he could have transferred his treasures into eternity, but he didn't. He's probably in eternity. He was a moral guy. He loved God. He tithed. See, heaven isn't based on how much we give. He just failed to obey God in that area. So we don't know where he is, but he may be there because it's not based on how much you give. If he is, for the last 2,200 years, he is upset with himself for not doing what God asked. I believe that if he would have done what God asked and he followed him, that God would have brought him into his inner circle because that was the greatest sacrifice of faith that we saw from any of the apostles. That if he did that, he would be part of that circle. He would have been there for the miracles. He would have been there for the death and the resurrection and the ascension. And we would be reading about him in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, right? In fact, we would be reading about him in the book of Acts when they talk about sharing everything you have with those in need. And we would know his name and he would be an inspiration to us to follow whatever God tells us to do rather than Kathy being the inspiration to us. Instead, we don't even know his name. So what good was all that wealth? You know, we all have a little bit of the rich young ruler in us. Fear, that tension, because we want to be natural and think our pie is only this big. But God is saying today, my resources are unlimited. I own all the cattle. I have all the hills. I have all the silver and gold. Please just do what I ask you to do. Let's bless this world. Let's take it. And I will take care of everything you need in the process. One more slide. 
Purpose for your profit slide. I entitled this. Okay. These are some things that our family and some friends are, are involved in. And I know that many of you are involved in a lot of things in addition to believers. And that's awesome. So I'm just sharing this to encourage us one to another. Those upper corner slides, that's in Cambodia. That school did not have running water, did not have toilets for their students. So we got involved with an organization that brought in a filtration system, pumped the water down from the mountains, and now they have wash basins for their hands, they have clean drinking water, and they have toilets while they go to school. That is a purpose for our profit. Okay? Um, the other ones, sometimes our family is a purpose for our profit. Okay? On the bottom, my right, is my family. My parents came from Italy. Everybody's deceased, but at that time, 15 years ago, the only living one out of eight kids was my dad's sister, the little gray-haired girl in the middle, lived in Italy. We had a chance to meet her 15 years ago. Her and her husband, they have one daughter on the left in the red sweater. She's widowed. Her son is on the bottom and his wife is next to him. The other ones are my brother and sister. I mean, my daughter. So we meet them. They live, the five of them, in a two-bedroom, one-bath, 900-square-foot apartment in a not-so-nice area of Rome. I grew up here in a middle-class family, went to a private parochial school, went to a university, and have the life that I have. I don't know why God chose me to be here and chose my cousins to live there with much less, but I know that he has a purpose for my profit, and so we have undertaken helping them, our family, consistently on a regular basis because I believe that's why God has blessed me to share it with my own family. And I believe most of you would do the same. So that's them. The little girl in the middle, you've all heard of Compassion International. I mean, for $40 a month, you can have a child go to a private Christian school in a village, hear the gospel, have a warm lunch, and I get stories after stories of how parents have come to know the Lord through their children and through that school. What a great purpose for our prophet. Missionaries, everybody knows Graham and Lori on the West Coast, they're doing the Lord's work. They're in people's homes, helping them start small groups and small churches right there. Find somebody that you identify with, that you connect with, and be a gospel patron. Be on the journey. Use your profit to help support what they're doing and receive rewards for that. And I've always been attracted to older women. Um, <laughs> the lady on the bottom left there, that's my example of a widow. Do you know, all of us know widows. Most of us have somebody that lives very close to us in our neighborhood. And most of the widows live paycheck to paycheck. They get a social security check, maybe a small pension, and any major expense just throws them into a tizzy. Maybe you can just take care of their yards for them, or if you're not able to, you can pay for a yard service. But even greater than that, you know where that lady is? She's at an adult daycare. Do you know they have daycare for old folks? And they really like it, you know? I pay to send my grandkids to summer camp because I love them and because they have fun, all right? And many parents do the same and other grandparents do too. How about sending a widow 
an elderly person to adult daycare, get them out of their house, and let them go have some fun with some other people. That is a purpose for our profit. You see, none of us can take anything with us except the relationships we develop. Those are the only things that go with us. And once we die, those American dollars we have, that currency doesn't transfer into heaven. It gets left behind for others. So use it now. Be a blessing. See the blessing and transfer it into heaven for you. You know, today is not about money. Today is about our heart. That's what Jesus was talking about in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so God wants our hearts. And the four ways that we talked about, I don't know which one is where you're at now and that you identify with the most, but he's saying, man, hold things loosely. You don't own anything. I've given them to you. Transfer ownership to me. I've entrusted to you. So hold them loosely and do whatever I ask you to do with it. Learn to be content with what I've given you. And when you want to do more, just talk to me about it. Most of the time, I'm going to say, yeah, go for it. Sometimes we've got a better plan. Third, just trust me and give the tithe, the 10%, and watch how I open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain. I promise to take care of your needs, the same as Jesus said in his version there. Um, and then finally, those of us that have been blessed with the ability to do more than a tithe, put a purpose to our profit other than building up our own treasures here on earth, other than storing it for other people and just enjoying it. Use it to be a blessing to someone else. I don't know which one of those are for you, but I would ask that as you leave today and as you think about it, you say, okay, God, Let's talk about this and allow him to challenge you to go to that next level. You know, we began by asking the question, what's in your future? Without a doubt, the most important decision we ever make is what will we do with Jesus? He is the greatest giver. He's the ultimate giver. He is our example. And so if you're ready, if you'll bow your heads I'd like to ask you that today is a day, if you've never made a decision for Jesus, that he is calling you. He's not asking for your money today. He's asking for your heart. And he's saying, if you give me your heart, I'll give you everything you need. So if you're ready to make that decision, let's begin now. If everybody would join with me so no one prays alone. Father God, we love you. We thank you for all you've given us. We thank you for your death and resurrection. We acknowledge that you've blessed us so we could bless others. And Lord, today I want to be a part of your family. So I turn from living for myself and I ask you to fill me and I commit to doing what you desire. Today, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.